Welcome back to Stranded and Streaming. Full disclosure, I love musicals. And we're getting started with fun facts about each other today. <laughs> uh, fun fact about Dylan, he likes mil- musicals. Do you like musicals? Did you want to dodge that one? Is that what you're trying to do? Dodge? No. Or, do you like musicals, Carter? I, I need to know now. I do like musicals. Gun to your head. I don't like all musicals, oh, but I okay. do like musicals. That's fair. I like hamburgers. I don't like all hamburgers, <laughs> but I like hamburgers in general. I'm intrigued when someone says, do you want to try a hamburger? Mm. And when someone says, do you want to try a musical? I'm always, mm, yes. I have a little bit of a background in um, theater arts. Theator? Theator. Ooh, I want to hear this. And even some musical theater. theater. Oh. Um, the uh, local population here near us will probably be at least somewhat familiar. Um but I was involved in CYT when I was younger. That's uh, Christian Youth Theater. Yeah, okay. okay. Um, so it's a, I'm not sure if they're still around. I they think. still are. They're related with the, um, the, the Civic Theater. Yes. Yeah. They're, so they partnered like a, with the Civic Theater a few years ago. But yeah, anyway, it's a cool, like, extracurricular program that mostly, like, Christian community kids are involved in. They're not, like, isolated to only religious people there there's a whole bunch of people i knew that were part of it hmm. but the organization is run by a bunch of people in that category yeah but that was a lot of fun i think i was 12 and 13 or maybe 11 and 11 and 12 when i did i, I only did two shows i was in um snoopy and oliver mm. musicals based on the peanuts cartoons and Oliver Twist, respectively. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> separate shows. Not my cat, Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Not, <laughs> not your cat. But yeah, that was a lot of fun. And I did theater and drama hmm. uh, all through high school. So I have a little bit of a background there. And musical theater was always a lot of fun. So so, so, so yes, musicals, I, I do like those. <laughs> so when you see like a musical, does it bring um, like memories back at all? Like when you watch a little bit, certain things from your experiences. Yeah. I've never been in a theatrical performance, so I don't have any of those. Like I, I was in the, the band performance. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I told you a story once there was a spokesman review photographer <laughs> that I did not trust because I'm a suspicious child. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't have my name. <laughs> Lonely boy. Yep. <laughs> now you say not all musicals, so what are some that you're just like, wow, this was hot trash. <laughs> Please say cats because I haven't seen it. <laughs> I haven't seen it either. I 2019 have, cats. Yeah. Right? I have heard that it was not good. Unfortunately, I have not uh, made a, <laughs> I have not made the decision for myself yet. I have yet to see it. Um, but I usually am a little wary, you know, mm. hearing everyone literally everyone say oh that was terrible (laughs) maybe maybe i don't prioritize that maybe i'll just watch that when i'm feeling like i have a couple hours to blow so when i've hit rock bottom (laughs) yeah um i can't think of any off the top of my head but i can think of some that stand out as good ones Mm. um the sound of music okay uh the lion king Mm. Encanto. oh and strange you mentioned that one because That's today, our show today. Yes. <laughs> uh, Disney's hit from 2021. That Encanto. was a month ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it came out in November of 2021. So towards the tail end. Was I know. Was it November? Crazy, right? <clears throat> I feel like it wasn't that long ago. It wasn't, but it was November because it was it was in theaters. And then it uh, then it became on home release in December for us. 
So I've been, I've had not a choice to watch it. <laughs> oh, okay. That, okay. Nope. I, I hear, I hear you. The release date was November 24th. I didn't actually realize that it was released in theaters before going to Disney plus. It was, it wasn't so, that crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, it wasn't, and isn't a premium subscription. Um, so they're not charging extra for it. And it showed up only like a couple weeks after that. It was like early December. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, Disney plus in Canto, it is available now. Yeah. Uh, we're going to review that today. I, I guess before we get, no, no, you do synopsis first, right? Cause we yes, managed yes, we to do, fail we do that to. for matrix revolution. I wasn't going to say anything, but thanks for reminding me. Oh, I, you know what else we <laughs> failed Carter since you're on track of <laughs> capturing failures. <laughs> Let me capture one of your failures that I chose not to help. Oh, please do. When we did Matrix Revolutions, did not tell anybody where you can watch it. You can watch it on HBO+. Plus. <laughs> I figured that wasn't the worst thing to leave out because the whole Matrix series, we we had already established that all the movies are available on, on HBO and mentioned that in pri- prior episodes. You're but. just a man of few faults and anything I can find... I will definitely make it. No, you, you, st- you, I stand corrected. You are correct there. Um, yes, that, that was a fault of mine. So thank you for, uh, for pointing that out. I'm, I'm bathing in you the, you were ju- right. I was wrong. <laughs> I need to hear it again. You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> That's the one and only time I'll ever get to enjoy that sentence on the show. Oh, there will be more. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay, synopsis for Encanto. Mm. A young Colombian girl has to face the frustration of being the only member of her family without magical powers. Yeah, that's that's perfect. It's not like a 1990s synopsis where it tells you the whole freaking movie. <laughs> All right. No, that was that's that's good. It's very um spoiler-free. Speaking of spoilers, mm. before we get into that, I think this movie is it's reaching a must-see. Yeah. rating. I, I don't know if I would go all the way to drop everything you're doing and see it right now, but Disney has a successful model. Mm-hmm. Everything they release turns to gold, and this has had lots of glowing reviews, especially from parents. Yeah, like A lot of kids are really loving it right now. So I would say if you have Disney+, Plus, or if you don't have Disney+, Plus, it'd be worth at least the free trial to go on and, and give it a watch. Mm. But yes, I, I would say it's a, it's a, it's a good watch, and worth seeing if you already have access to it you mirrored everything i feel if you don't have disney plus get the seven day trial watch mandalorian and watch encanto <laughs> uh oh and book of boba fett mm-hmm. but book of boba fett required you to stay on after seven days which i think you should i'm a man who acknowledges that disney is a a mixed bag of evil gigantic corporation that will sue anybody and everybody for the pure dominance of power Yet on the flip side of the coin, they feed and promote, especially nowadays, promote artists of different um, ethnicities and backgrounds Mm -hmm. to really do what they've always wanted to do with the backing power of a large evil corporation. It is this weird mixed bag and a funky reality I live in. Mm -hmm. But taking Disney's crazy Sue happy side, they are producing great content that is very meaningful. And this piece is so beautiful. And it's not because of Disney, although they're backing it. It's because of all these, um, the writers, everybody, the, the music, it's coming from people with backgrounds that have an incredible story to tell. And now they have a place to execute it and it's given a grand spotlight. And that is so powerful that, man, I'm, I'm for it. Encanto is not a, Hey, you gotta like 
pull over the car, do a 180 and drive home and watch it. Mm-hmm. But gosh darn it, it needs to be on your list of things you'd see in the next few years or in your lifetime. I would say you would not have lived a full life if you missed Encanto, actually. Mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people specifically say this is the best one since Frozen. Mm. So Frozen, if I remember right, was 2014 wow. and produced the smash hit Let It Go. <sighs> <laughs> much to the detriment of every parent out there who had to hear that recited and re- and rehashed over and over again by their five-year-olds, you know, for the next five years. <laughs> the, the only thing that keeps me engaged and I don't even like frozen the movie series, like not to that level. I have a crush on Elsa and, and that's not the only thing, not just the, the, the sexist pig in me, but the man who runs the fruit cart, in the first one he's 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 like a little guy in the village because there's like a big musical production that happens in the center of the village Mm -hmm. it's been a while since i've seen frozen but there was just a a, an everyday villager with uh it's it's like a fruit or a food truck or something i I don't even remember what kind of truck it is but it was just fun he was a man in a cart and then as i don't know as an idiot like me watching a movie like that (laughs) i was like that's probably me because i was like trying to find a character a side (laughs) character that i would probably be doing that job right and i would be pushing a cart around was selling various goods to people Mm -hmm. and then a massive musical breaks out and I guess I'd participate, but not willingly. Right. So kind of like the whole like Flynn Rider thing entangled. Like why is everybody always singing all the time? Yes. Like, yes. Very self-aware of what's going on around him, not wanting to participate. Like, what is this? Yeah. What is Cut it out. I'm not comfortable. This is very strange. Are we going to spoiler warning? Yes. So we've provided the synopsis. Yes. We've told you to go see it because we can tell you to go see it, so go see it. We're we're very bossy. <laughs> it's it's a it's a musty in this lifetime, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> but not a musty like right now. Right, but it's worth your time. Spoiler warning. Should I do this one since you had to do the last one? Sure. It's a spoiler warning. Okay, so you don't like spoilers? Get the hell out of here. Go watch it, <laughs> and then come back. We're yes. only doing this as a courtesy. Go watch Encanto. Come back. Um, that was a weird noise. That was cool. So, uh, <laughs> like a propeller plane, like a small Cessna landing <laughs> with, I don't know, 200 kilos of cocaine ready to be distributed <laughs> to a small community. Well, this episode's not family friendly. <laughs> None of them have been anyway. So, <laughs> but if we are holding any hope, there it goes. <laughs> Every time we upload, I do check the box for explicit content. No, that's good. We have to remain honest. And it's not a stranded streaming show if it doesn't involve just a little bit of debauchery. Mm-hmm. Hello, I'm Dylan. Debauchery. <laughs> D for debauchery. <laughs> Capital D. Um, so anyway, we're beyond the spoiler warning. Obviously, from here on out, we will be discussing the movie in its entirety. So yeah, without further ado, I think we'll get into... The Gritty Deets. Story time. So, Encanto is Disney's 60th animated film. Oh, really? Disney Animation Studios, yep. Wow. Um, So this is not Pixar, something that I always accidentally get mixed up a lot. Because Disney owns Pixar, so if it's animated, I'm like, oh, Pixar did it. It used to be really easy to distinguish the difference between the Pixar movies and the regular Disney Animation Studios. Mm -hmm. Because... Up until recently, Pixar didn't do any movie, any movies. <laughs> Pixar didn't do any movies that featured people. They were 
Toy Story and A Bug's Life and Cars and Monsters Incorporated. It was all of these movies that focused on something other than humanity. And then we have movies like Coco and Up and some other recent movies where we've started to see human beings. Was Coco Pixar? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, Coco's Pixar. Those are the two that come to mind right away. I think there's one more that has um, people at the front. But anyway, now it's getting harder harder to distinguish. So I, I understand your confusion there. Yeah, I'm like, uh, I thought it was a Pixar the whole time. Just the way like the animation style is. Yeah, it was very um, reminiscent of watching Coco. And mm. not to like combine the uh, obvious differences between the ethnicities and yeah. the heritage that kind of inspired both of those movies. Obviously Coco is from Mexico and Encanto is Colombia. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it reminded me a lot of Coco. I, and I, I agree the the vibrant culture, Hispanic mm-hmm. style, you know, style culture. I, I agree. And, and yeah, you cannot, you can't say, Oh, Colombians are Mexicans and Mexicans are Colombians. Cause <laughs> obviously that is such an obtuse way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And there is a very diverse and actually that's something I'm going to not ta- try not to talk too much. So Carter can get to the film because I have <laughs> massive notes and actually all my notes and credits relate to Colombia, the country and the the region and everything mm-hmm. instead of just Encanto because the movie's already great. Which I'm glad you did the research there. And I mentioned this when we were talking earlier, but I'm, I'm glad you did that because Disney makes a point, especially like nowadays, like in the modern times Mm -hmm. to do their homework and really put out a movie that is accurate and done well. Mm -hmm. Um, and so far I can't think of any like cultural biases or appropriations or anything that they've done wrong for other cultures. It's all been very well done. They've cast people who have like similar heritages or at least at least similar, not always the same, mm-hmm. but like Moana, yeah. the main character who voiced Moana, she is from like uh, South Pacific islands. Yeah. Think things like that where they are really trying to be accurate and yeah. maintain their, their status of really putting out quality content that has that accuracy. And, and you can tell they did their research. Yeah. Um, even two <clears throat> of the characters, um, Stephanie uh, Beatrice, uh, Isabella, mm-hmm. she, um, her heritage, she's part Colombian because her father is Colombian and her mother is Bolivian. And John Leguizamo, one of my favorite, favorite actors of all time. He was in, I never seen it. Uh, Tara keeps telling me that she's like, he was in the, the terrible Mario brothers movie. He was one of the Mario brothers. Oh my gosh. Never <laughs> seen it, but that's John Leguizamo. That's funny. Uh, he was born in Bogota, Colombia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so on July 22nd of 1964. Did you say Isabella or Mirabel? Oh, shoot. Diane Guerrero is Isabella. I think you That's the said, perfect sister, right? Yeah. Stephanie Beach. Yeah. Stephanie Beatriz is Mirabel. Yeah. My notes are really shitty. Again, <laughs> I went on Fiverr and paid a kid from Scotland to write all my notes for me. <laughs> Disney's doing their homework. Dylan does not. Dylan, not so much. <laughs> Debauchery Dylan says Stephanie Beatrice plays somebody that's not uh, the right role. <clears throat> oh, man, that's funny. Mirabelle. Mm. Sorry, Mirabelle. Stephanie Beatrice, main mm-hmm. character, Mirabelle. Um, Stephanie Beatrice and John Leguizamo. Um, so they, they have heritage connections. John Leguizamo being born in Colombia. Mm-hmm. He came to the United States when he was four and lived in New York City. Uh, lived in various neighborhoods in Queens, including Jackson Heights. Oh, so just fun fact. But John Leguizamo is so cool. Um, he's a comedian. 
He's an actor, and obviously he plays John Wick's mechanic. And if you know me, John Wick is the holy grail of action movies. <laughs> and if John Leguizamo's in there running a chop shop, mm, you got me, baby. <laughs> he also is another um, notable role. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> he voices Sid the Sloth from Ice Age. All of them. All of them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that until recently after doing some uh, research for this movie. And I thought that was just hilarious. Like I, <laughs> I didn't realize, I mean, obviously there are a lot of actors that do funny things with their voices for mm-hmm. certain roles, but I had, <laughs> I had no idea that Sid the Sloth had done vocal work anywhere else. I thought that was a unique voice and that guy just, I don't know who he was. I didn't bother looking him up, looking him up because I hadn't seen Ice Age in forever. Right. You know, but then we just watched Ice Age recently, my my wife and I, and <laughs> they pointed out, do you know who that is? I was like, no, who, who's that? That's Bruno. <laughs> what? <laughs> John Leguizamo? <laughs> that's that's Bruno? That's that's Sid the Sloth? We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> but we can talk about Sid the Sloth all we want. <laughs> It's so funny because for me, John Leguizamo has always played like um, these, sometimes unfortunately characters, but these Hispanic drug dealers and badasses. So to see him play Bruno, this very um, loving and caring uncle type, it was just so good. And it shows his range. It's just like John Leguizamo is a gift to cinema. Mm -hmm. I got to say, seeing him in live action and seeing him in voice acting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, I guess th- all this ties to what you're saying that Disney doing their homework. Mm-hmm. And this is really cool. Um, I wanted to touch on that, that Disney has not had successes in being self-aware you know, about this stuff. Pocahontas being a great, brutal example mm-hmm. of Disney. Just Obviously, things were different, and now times have changed. And I guess I don't want to give credence to social justice warriors because I don't like people who are always running around. like just demanding, even though they don't belong in that community, you know, Mm -hmm. allies are great, but sometimes some people go overboard, but I will say we are at the birth of Disney for a moment, not being like, butthurt, like, Oh, you guys need to get over it. They're actually kind of like, "Eh, well, we made some real big effing mistakes. Let's not do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And that is such a beautiful thing to, to see a massive corporation say, wow, we really, really like screwed the pooch on, you know, these, these underrepresented people, mm-hmm. you know, and instead of, I don't know, just running out and be like, well, no, Disney's going to draw the line in the sand. We're going to do whatever we want and you can kiss our butts. Right. So they actually said, okay, well let's hire people who know better than us and mm-hmm. let's try. No, they've been doing really good with that lately. And when you say Coco, oh my gosh, Coco made me cry. Like Coco touched me uh, emotionally, mm-hmm. maybe physically too, and in a very appropriate way. <laughs> I loved Coco mm-hmm. and it, it, it gave me everything I wanted in a beautiful movie. Um, and again, this, I can't say good enough things about Encanto, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll, I'll let you get rolling into it there. Yeah. Um, one more thing real quick mm. before, as far as cast goes, before we totally move on, because I feel like I'll forget if I don't mention it now. <laughs> um, Alan Tudyk. Oh. He is credited as the voice of the toucan. <laughs> I don't know who decided that Alan Tudyk is just the go-to guy for birds. Have you seen his face? I've yes, I've seen his face. He's bird-like. <laughs> I I disagree. I don't think he looks like a bird. He looks like a Scandinavian man that is designed to do bird things. <laughs> I just think it's so funny. He was Hey Hey in Moana, <laughs> the chicken. He. 
there are various roles where he has played either animals in general or more specifically birds for Disney <laughs> in the last like 12, eight to 12 years. Uh, I did not know that. I didn't. Um, I wasn't able to find the audio and I was hoping to find it so that I could play it through the mic here. But there's a video I saw on YouTube a while back of him being interviewed. Mm. Um, and it was while he was working on set for Moana. It was just a showcase of him making all the chicken noises. And <laughs> That's a great interview. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it, but I'm really excited to see it. It was less of an interview and more of like a compilation of like the stuff that he was doing and fe- factoring in some qu- mm. interview questions and stuff. And one of the things that he says in in context while he's while he's doing this, he's laughing at himself and he says, I'm classically trained. I went to Juilliard <laughs> and I'm a chicken. <laughs> For a children's movie. <laughs> so I'm sure he's a good sport about it. He yeah. seems like the kind of wholesome guy that is having a great time with this. Yeah. And he just did so well one time that Disney like, hey, we need to have you back for more of these. But it's just such a funny <laughs> concept. Like Alan Tudyk is Disney's go to animal sounds guy and specifically birds. You, you, <laughs> I, I'm learning this like on the fly at this moment uh-huh. but i think this actually fits beautifully for disney is that if you had any ethnic person have to play like the punchline animal there would be a civil like unrest and riots in the street but look at alan Tudyk, like <laughs> it's just like an everyday nice white guy uh-huh. like like okay like alan you're the key to this operation like it's not all the ethnic like study and research to be very appropriate and accurate Mm -hmm. it's making sure that none of the ethnic characters have to play a throwaway joke (laughs) and alan tudyk as our savior (laughs) alan you're white you're just kind of a plain looking guy if you bumped into him at costco you wouldn't think twice Mm -hmm. especially if you don't know him as alan tudyk he's just another guy right right so it's like alan please this project hinges you on playing (laughs) the dumb chicken Or in this case, the toucan uh-huh. that ditches <laughs> Mirabelle. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there before we move on because I knew I would forget later. But um, he's a pilot in Firefly as well. Yes, he's oh, the pilot Wash in Firefly. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Alan Tudyk, such a good actor. But yeah, I have no idea how that started. But he's now Disney's Birdman. <laughs> what do you? They should have taken it uh, because there was a movie called Birdman uh-huh. and it's uh Michael Keaton. Yeah. They should have just taken. Oh, that would have been incredible. <laughs> a universe where Alan Tudyk is Birdman. <laughs> Reboot, please. Right. I, yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I got to say, Alan Tudyk, another gift to cinema and performance, uh, performing arts, right? For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything he's been in that I've seen him in has been really good, mm. or at least he's done very well. Juilliard trained. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, this is the scene where you choke on a rock because you ate too many of them. <laughs> Telling an accredited actor. <laughs> I would love to work for Disney just so I can say shit like that to Tudyk. Right. Okay, so this is the part where they punch you really hard in the beak, and it's reversed. And now you have to speak out of your bottom, Alan. Can, can you do that for us? <laughs> Give me a minute. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on into the actual story. Encanto. Encanto. So we get a brief history of the family while Abuela is talking to Mirabel. Mirabel is, at the time, a little girl. If I remember right, I think 
each child when they receive their gift is five years old. Correct. So she's five and she's asking questions like, how did we get this miracle? Where did the candle come from? Mm-hmm. And Abuela is telling her the story. They had, they were forced away from their home. They came to this valley and Abuelo Pedro mm-hmm. was lost. And in that loss, the encanto happened mm-hmm. and this candle represents their magic and their enchantment. And the casita built itself, and mm-hmm. the valley was surrounded by mountains so that they would in, all be protected. Uh, sorry to interrupt. So, Encanto being uh, the enchantment. Yes. Right? Encanto is Spanish for enchantment. And um, casito, translation for home? Casita, yeah. Oh, casita. Sorry. Mm-hmm. My apologies. <clears throat> I don't know if that's significant, casito versus casita. I, obviously, I'm not fluent or even like very knowledgeable right. in Spanish. I do know that the final part of a word ending in a or o usually male denotes. or female mm-hmm. yeah yeah so i don't I, but i've never heard somebody call say it casito casito yeah it's yeah. always casita I, I wonder if it's the fact that like home shelter it would be equate to a feminine type could um, be like a nurturing type characteristic mm-hmm. uh, at least given in the language context right obviously disney does their research and we do not we we don't yeah <laughs> Neither of us are of a Hispanic or anything lately close to Colombian or Mexican descent. So Mm -hmm. uh, uh, South American, none of that. Right. Yeah. I'm as Asian as they come. (laughs) (laughs) And well, I'm sitting across from Alan Tudyk right now. He plays a great dumb chicken. (laughs) (laughs) So take what we say with a grain of salt when it comes to our uh, racial understanding and definitely our ability to master a language beyond English. Right. So, Casita just kind of builds itself from this enchantment. This magical candle, right? mm Mm-hmm. And Abuela establishes this little town with her three kids, and she tells the story to Mirabel. As they come of age, the house gives them gifts. Mm. And now it's time for Mirabel to receive her gift. It cuts right after she finishes the story, and Mirabel's about to touch the door, and then Mirabelle's older, and she is getting asked, kind of harassed by the, <laughs> the, the village kids, the village kids <laughs> who are hyped up on coffee. <laughs> What's your gift? Just one kid is hyped on coffee, and I want to make a quick segue. Yeah. Lynn uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda, yes, there. who do, who composed the music for for the movie. And if you don't recognize him, Hamilton mm-hmm. in uh, the Heights, yes, definitely in the Heights. Um, he also did Moana. Did you know that? I did not know that. I found that out just yesterday. <laughs> Have you watched In the Heights yet? Have you had a chance? I haven't. Um, Stephanie Beatrice, who plays Mirabelle mm-hmm. in this one, is also in In the Heights. Oh. she's uh, And I, I failed to mention this, but I love Stephanie Beatrice. She is uh, Detective Rosa Diaz in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, one of the funniest police shows I really enjoy. And, and if you've only, I've only known her mm-hmm. as Rosa Diaz before all this. And what she plays in that show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and what you see here and actually see in Brooklyn Heights, mm-hmm. or in the Heights, <laughs> is, is crazy. She is very talented. Like, you I, you would not tell it's the same person. Very diverse. Yeah. She is stone cold, stoic, very emotionless in Brooklyn Nine-Nine all the time. <laughs> nice. I was bringing up Linwell. Yeah. Uh, Miranda. 
he said that he relates most with the kid that drinks too much coffee. <laughs> That's the character he relates with the most in this whole freaking movie. That's funny. <laughs> but sorry. So the village kids are uh, interrogating. Asking, yeah. Yeah. They're asking her what's, who are the, mm-hmm. who are the magic gals and what are, what are their gifts and all that. So she starts this song to tell the kids all about the family. Mm-hmm. And she goes through the list and is talking about her abuela who found the enchantment, her Tia Peppa controls the weather. Um, <laughs> Uncle Bruno, Tio Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. <laughs> we, we don't talk about him. <laughs> um, he could see the future. Yeah. Her mother, Julieta, could heal people with her meals. Yeah. And then she gets into the cousins. Let's see. It's uh, Dolores can hear a pin drop. So she has really sensitive hearing. Um, like hyper. She could hear like from like a town away or something like that. Right. Yeah. One of the things that she says, she can hear this chorus from a mile away. <laughs> Carlito, I think is his name. He's the one that shape shifts. Yes. He changes. He can change into anybody. Oh, C- Camilo. 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 Yeah. He shape shifts. He changes his, his looks. Um, and Antonio, who he doesn't have his gift yet. He's getting his gift today. He's a little, the youngest kid mm-hmm. at the moment. Yep. And then her sisters, Isabella, who is perfect and grows flowers, mm. and her other sister, Luisa, who is really strong and does all the heavy lifting. Like literally a female Hercules. Mm-hmm. And they even make like allusions to that in her song. Right. Very cool. So she goes through all of that and they keep pestering her about her. Like, what's your gift? Tell us about you. And she keeps running through like what everybody else does dodging the topic dodging the topic (laughs) until finally she makes it back to the house and abuela what are you doing out there oh the kids just wanted to know what's going on and who everybody was and they interrupt and say she was about to tell us about her gift oh mirabelle didn't get one (laughs) (laughs) so you realize finally mirabelle didn't actually receive a gift from her ceremony Mm. she handles it very well she she does she does really well the kids even say some pretty hurtful things and the man there's a your gift must be denial (laughs) if i was you i'd be really sad these are the shittiest kids in that like that community like i i would kick them out of the community one two the man that shows up that Mm -hmm. like because this is the backdrop of the celebration of the uh, the youngest kid who's about to receive his powers right and they're like celebrate, like they're like fireworks or he's, something. Yeah, he's dropping off a basket of goodies. It looks like fireworks and like stuff to decorate with. And and I love like it. That. He hands it to Mirabelle, and he's like, "I uh, got you the special, but it's the not so special special because you're not special." <laughs> <laughs> like, geez, thanks, uh-huh. Dick. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> That's great. I, I love the the caricature of how terrible Just everybody is. Smiling through her teeth. Thanks. <laughs> Um, so yeah, Mirabelle does not have any gifts that we know of, which before we move on, you might have some of this in your, um, stuff that you've looked up, but I've heard there are a lot of theories, Mm. um, mostly fan theories as to what that means Mm -hmm. and what's really going on here. Um, obviously Abuela is the matriarch leader of the family. Mm -hmm. There's some ideas going around that maybe Mirabelle did not get a gift because she is meant to take Abuela's place yeah, and be the next matriarch of the family. And some of the things that lead into that, um, she talks with Antonio later about Antonio's nervous. He's not very excited about what's about to happen. Yeah. But he's nervous. He's hiding. She goes to find him and gives him a gift and it's a little stuffed tiger. Yeah. 
she says, I know you're an animal guy. So I figured this might help calm you down. Might, you know, you, here's a friend for you. There, and and there's, there's a social, sorry to interrupt. There's a social pressure for Antonio to receive his gift because the last gift ceremony did not <laughs> yield good results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's uh, Mirabelle having her original issues there. Mm-hmm. It's like where everything's painted in the shadow of the failure of her receiving her gift. Right. So Which Antonio was 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Antonio having this massive anxiety and, and you have to kind of like notice it, it's not really apparent in the beginning of watching the movie for the first time. Right. But that definitely is actually like that pressure and shadow is casting wide and large over mm-hmm. this whole celebration. Yeah. His mother is very wrung out, high strung. <laughs> she uh, has storm clouds over her frequently <laughs> <laughs> and that's her power is her mood affects the weather mm-hmm. so that's pretty cool too right um so she offers him this gift because she knows he's a big animal lover mm-hmm. and it turns out the gift that he receives is the ability to talk to animals and mm-hmm. uh interact with them cue alan tudyk <laughs> <laughs> So there's some people that think that maybe she actually gave him that gift or somehow influenced him getting that gift from Casita or from the enchantment or whatever. I I did not look uh, far into fan theories about uh, uh, what uh, Mirabelle's powers were actually surprisingly. So no, that's actually very interesting. Right. Tara made a mention of it uh, a day ago. I think when we were talking about, cause she's like, what are you guys doing now? It's like, well, we're doing Canto. Mm -hmm. And I just want to segue real quick. Both are households. Encanto is playing constantly. Oh my gosh. And I'm I'm I'd be freaking lying if it didn't feel like there was a gun to my freaking head. It is playing so much that when Tara said you should do Encanto, I was like, maybe it's just Tara. I was like, maybe it's just her that loves it and children obviously mm-hmm. across the world, but I didn't realize your household was the same thing. Every time I come home, you uh-huh. know, from anything, it's like Encanto's playing. Mm-hmm. And Tara really loves Louise's uh, song, which mm-hmm. is really good. This movie is incredible. Oh, yeah. It's just very it's, good songs. Very good story. I was so scared to review this film mm-hmm. because I felt like the fact that I see it so much playing all the time and constantly going, 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 mm-hmm. that I was going to be annoyed and hurt the score because I was annoyed. and I didn't want that to happen. Right. So. And I don't feel like I'm annoyed by it. Same as like this happened to me and in my house with uh, Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's just Lin-Manuel Miranda has managed to make really catchy music and or if it's just the story or or what. But somehow everybody at my house, not I I can't say including or not including me because I'm just kind of there and Mm -hmm. I was watching it and I did enjoy it, but I was not a super fan, Mm -hmm. but everybody else in my house loved Hamilton. And we probably collectively watched that in the double digits, like within months of it coming out. It was, (laughs) it was almost like, it felt like at least weekly we were watching it. And same with Encanto here. Like, I don't think it's been that many times, but it's been at least more than more than four times i'm pretty sure it has played in in my house <laughs> i've counted it's been more than 15 times oh in my, my house. gosh it's played so much and and there's something to your sentence that it's not fully relating to this but i'm curious because mm-hmm. i don't know if you have this uh thing i i, I don't like t- traditional generals where like the man does this and the woman does it i think if we can do what we can to help each other out we just do it period right mm-hmm. 
do you ever feel like you're just a person that exists in your home? Like it's your home, you pay the mortgage, but you just kind of like <laughs> exist and other things just happen without like, and not that you need control and you don't want control. Like I don't, I don't need to control everything, but I just feel like I'm a person that just exists in my home and everything else happens around me. Like the scenario where you come home and Encanto has been playing twice already that day. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I'm not upset by it. I just, things just happen uh-huh. that are well beyond my control. I feel like that's reasonable. I think that does happen every now and then. Yeah. It's definitely not like a normal feeling or anything that like extends beyond the normal day to day. But every now and then, that's that's not a that's not a um, unfamiliar feeling. Okay. Yeah. Because I just feel like we're always tricked into thinking that we're the main character, mm-hmm. and I I fully like I I hate that illusion. I like to realize that we're all just like supporting <laughs> cast, you know. And I feel like if I ever have a boy one day and he's like, dad, I don't feel like the main character. And I'll tell him like, that's okay. That's how I felt my whole life. <laughs> ever since you came into our home and your mother and everybody, I'm just supporting Cass. I'm just the guy you run into when there's trouble. It moves your plot along. Yep. Not mine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with this feeling too. I'm not even saying this is in a negative light. I oh just, yeah. No, I'm just supporting Cass in my house. Things just happen. And I feel like that's kind of like the, I don't know if chivalrous is the right word, but like, for lack of a better word until I think of a better one, the chivalrous male leader role. I Mm. think that really does kind of put the priority on other people ahead of you, making sure that your significant other is provided for and that they're getting what they need and that kind of thing without necessarily always reminding yourself to get what you need. Yeah. That kind of thing. Yeah. Putting the people you care about first. Mm -hmm. I like to think I do that. Yeah. But then at the same time, I'm very selfish. So I'm like, (laughs) you want to do i'm gonna be down here and not watching kanto <laughs> i'm gonna do something else <laughs> cue the sound of the xbox booting up <laughs> <laughs> sorry uh in kanto <laughs> no, yeah that was all very good um good derailed this time so yes so she gets through the song she doesn't have the gift antonio she's kind of helping prepare him through his getting ready for the ceremony Mm. he's like you said very nervous because there's this pressure on him everybody's prepared they get to the ceremony the whole town shows up (laughs) (laughs) no pressure i guess this is it i figured this was like more of a family thing like a close-knit more intimate ceremony Mm. kind of thing but no the entire town shows up and it's like who's gonna get the gift and what's it gonna be (laughs) um which i was kind of surprised about the kids asking her so many questions at first but then i realized oh yeah they haven't had one of these ceremonies in 10 years yeah if these kids are less than 10 years old they have no idea right Um, need to be clued in right so antonio he gets even more scared and he needs her help getting to the door and he asks for her help. And he obviously doesn't realize he's a small child. He doesn't realize the pain that Mirabelle is experiencing. Oh God. And reliving like like the trauma. of it. Yeah. And, and it even cuts to that, like the flashbacks and stuff of her having to walk up to the door and get rejected. Yeah. The door disappears and all that. He doesn't realize that he's causing her any trauma, but he's just holding out his hand. Like, I need you. I need you to come with me. I'm, I'm scared. I'm nervous. Come with me. And she reluctantly walks up to him and holds his hand and gets him to the door. And then he gets his gift. He he talks to animals and his room is just like magically created through the house. And, um, Encanto. Encanto. (laughs) (laughs) And it's all very fun. And then it goes into the next musical number where Mirabelle is trying to hide her feelings. Mm. But it's becoming more and more difficult to just live her life satisfied. Yeah. 
it kind of reminded me, and Jacqueline actually pointed this out first, but uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of rehashes and recycles themes and Mm. even some of his music. It kind of reminded me of the whole theme for Hamilton never being satisfied. Yeah. I'll never be satisfied. Yeah. Mirabelle, it's for a different reason. It's not that she's overreaching or trying to, you know, rise above her station or anything like that. She just wants to be part of the family. Yeah. And she's often overlooked and her grandma or her abuela asks her to step aside and let the people who are you know, part of the family. Yeah. The important members of the family, let them contribute in the way that they can. And if you really can't contribute, find it in a different way to contribute. And she's just starting to get really sad and frustrated with having to live her life without these gifts Mm. while everybody else gets the credit while everybody else gets the praise. And she's just the overlooked outcast of the family, so to speak. Not to mention someone in her age range, Isabella being the perfect one that makes flowers. Mm-hmm, the perfect one. Everybody else has a job. Everybody else contributes. Mm-hmm. Her, her, yeah, her oldest sister is perfect. Her other sister is so strong. She literally is carrying the community, carrying the community <laughs> on her shoulders. Um, yeah, and the song ends, and she sees cracks in in the house. Mm. She finds a broken tile, and and all of the cracks kind of like spread from her throughout the walls and up to the candle. And she runs back to tell Abuela, she says the house is in danger and they don't see anything. There's no cracks. There's, there's nothing wrong. And they, Abuela really, she doesn't say anything, but it's implied like, she hey, knows you're, something you're causing drama. This isn't your night. Yeah. Go on, go do something else. <laughs> um, and, her her mother julieta she talks to her a little bit and she still doesn't even really understand what's going on like she had a cut in her hand she from her musical number mm -hmm, she (laughs) she makes her an arepa she's there talking to her and she's trying to tell her you know you are special you are loved we have love for you you are finding ways to contribute but mirabel is still insistent on no i'm still not part of the family the same way everybody else is Mm -hmm. like i'm trying to be but i can't without these gifts Mm -hmm. and that's when she tries to do some investigating like what did i see Mm -hmm. and how do i fix it so the next day that she's talking at breakfast and all the family gets together for a meal (laughs) (laughs) um she receives some evidence that maybe luisa the strong one yeah might know something as to why she saw what she saw. These these cracks eye twitching. in the walls. Yeah. <laughs> Dolores tells her that she could hear her eye twitching all night long. <laughs> that would, it would suck to be Dolores. Oh my gosh, she can hear everything. Yeah, you can hear like fun stuff, but then you can also hear like very inappropriate and not fun stuff. Well, and here's an example of just some inappropriate things that she heard. Abuela is telling everybody, all right, Isabella is going to get, she's going to meet up with her man tonight and there's going to be a proposal and she checks with Dolores. She's like, so Dolores, are we, are we still on for the, for tonight? And Dolores says, yeah, he's going to, he's going to propose tonight and he wants five babies. (laughs) This whole thing has gone way out of proportion. Like Dolores is not having to go very far to actually spy on this uh, future husband of Isabella. Yeah. Could you, um, especially now being a father, I couldn't even imagine meeting a woman and looking at her straight in her eyes to the gates of her soul and be like, I need you to produce me five children. Like, I'm going to impregnate you. 
and you will hair me five like five massive lumps five babies yeah to pass through your body like five times i want you to go through this five times it's just crazy like i mean i guess times are different and you know obviously cultural differences Mm. some people definitely really want a lot of kids but even then like that's not something that you would just tell somebody so Mm. that's obviously something that he's either confessed to somebody he's close to his own mom like his mom Mm. or just talking to himself yeah (laughs) i'd like five children i would like five children after i propose to isabella (laughs) the love of my life and dolores is over there yeah abuela He's going to propose tonight. And he wants five babies. <laughs> that that's private information. Why are you listening to that? <laughs> but she can't help it. Anyway, right. So there's all that, and um, while that's all happening, Mirabelle is trying to talk to Louisa, saying, "Do you know what's going on? I heard your eye tw- was twitching last night, so you must know what's going on." And Louisa's obviously trying to hide something, and they get separated. She goes to find her later, mm-hmm. and she's walking around town. Fixing buildings and moving a whole entire church, moving donkeys and a church and yeah, all these things. Okay. I'd like to mention in this scene, Mm -hmm. favorite lines, many of many, but, um, Louisa, the donkey's gone out again. (laughs) (laughs) This freaking man is so incompetent that he can this this tells you it's a repeat occurrence mm-hmm. i.e. the word again <laughs> he is so incompetent that he just is so shitty at his job he just waits for louisa to get and louisa has her own wonderful musical number which i know you'll get into mm-hmm. but uh, at the end of that musical number he also still says louisa the donkeys <laughs> like telling her that this is her responsibility to take care of his donkeys every time they get out right so, anyways <laughs> which just adds to she's got so much on her plate yeah but yeah she's walking through town louisa my house is leaning a little to the never, never mind <laughs> she's moving the church over somebody asks her to reroute the river like no problem right yeah yeah she's just walking through yep i got it no problem i'm on it <laughs> and she goes to collect the donkeys after the donkey man <laughs> the, the donkey man the donkey man tells her that she that they're out again. Um, and Mirabelle's trying to ask her, like, what's going on? Are you are you sure you're doing okay? Like, do you really what what's really going on? why is there a problem with the magic? And she um kind of has a little bit of an outburst, like, there's nothing wrong. <laughs> oh, that, that came did out I, of nowhere. Did I say that? <laughs> um and yeah, then she gets into her musical number, Pressure, mm. which is very catchy. I think that one and Bruno, those those two are probably we don't like talk about Bruno. Yeah, those are probably the most memorable ones from the movie. I um, will agree on on the the greatest thing to come out of and, and her musical number is great. Louisa's um what what was it? Uh, pressure. Pressure. Mm-hmm. Um the highlight of that, not everyone else's but mine, the donkeys with the unicorn horns floating up. And then the donkeys being like background um uh, background dancers yeah mm-hmm. but like a, what is it when synchronized like uh-huh. they're like synchronized swimming and stuff <laughs> some of the greatest use of a donkey in my life to see to witness on screen digital donkeys of course yeah uh, i want a donkey with a unicorn horn now i, I think they, they i think they are better than regular unicorns 
honestly, all of the musical numbers were really, really good. Mm. But that one really takes the cake on like the effects. And, oh, like imaginative yeah. set piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's obvious that it wasn't all really happening, but it was all kind of in her imagination or whatever. Yeah. But it was all very, very good. And it was really, really dramatic and really well done. Yeah. All of the, all of the songs kind of paired with, or at least most of the songs paired with a kind of sequence like that. Yeah. Was, but that one was probably the most over the top. Would you call it a a unicorn donkey or a unidonkey or a donkey corn? A donkey corn. <laughs> Ooh, donkey donkey corn sounds good, doesn't it? <laughs> I love how you're intellectually covering this, and I just want to know how to pronounce donkey corn. <laughs> I'm over here providing in depth analysis, and you're like donkey corn, unidonkey. <laughs> Help me out with this. <laughs> Shut up. Come come help deal with my problem. <laughs> You're Louisa and I'm the donkey man. Uh-huh. Louisa, um, the donkey's gone out again. <laughs> Louisa. It's like the same voice I use to mock people and to hear it on screen. Like, oh my it's gosh. so good. That's funny. Uh, sorry to interrupt once again. Yeah. So uh, pressure like a drip, 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 and it doesn't stop. Whoa. <laughs> 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 we should do an episode where we just do dramatic line readings in a very <laughs> whoa <laughs> so anyway she goes through the whole song and mirabelle ends it with she gives her a hug and says i think you're carrying way too much mm. and that kind of opens louise's eyes to yeah maybe i'm overdoing it and if I've, I've got all this pressure on me, like I'm the one who's expected to lift all of the things that nobody else can. Yeah. I'm the one who's expected to shoulder all the burdens. Mm-hmm. And one of the lines from the song, you know, give it to your sister, your sister's stronger. Mm-hmm. See if she can hold on a little longer. Mm-hmm. Like that, everything that she's doing is way out of proportion. And it's only because she can mm-hmm. like everybody else. Yeah. Donkey man. He has <laughs> the ability to keep his donkeys caged up and, you know, in their corral. Yeah. But he's, he's not doing it. He's just allowing Louisa to cover his butt. And yeah. Like, like fix a, it whenever it goes wrong, a sense of neglect almost from donkey man. Right. Right. Donkey corn guy. Yeah. So it's obvious that she is taking on too much mm-hmm. and she's starting to doubt herself. Yeah. And I don't think it, it's kind of implied that everybody thinks that Mirabelle is causing Louisa to lose her powers yeah. by causing herself to doubt herself. But really, she's just pointing out, hey, you're doing too much. Maybe dial it back a little bit. Mm. Like, you don't have to carry all of these things. You shouldn't be expected to carry all of these things. But then after all of that, Louisa actually does start getting inconsistent and losing her gift and doubting herself and mm. her door starts flashing it the all the doors glow signifying the magic that has their abilities connected to it and mm. she hers starts flashing and um kind of flickering like a like a candle being blown out <laughs> almost Ooh. oh oh well, that deserves a what, what sound would that be yes perfect sound <laughs> may i interrupt real quick yeah uh, Mirabelle is the first main Disney animated female character to wear glasses. I only remember this is because Tara made a mention of it. Uh, Louisa fixes Mirabelle's glasses before the musical number starts. Oh yeah. The one of the main reasons she does, um, is because, because her name comes from the Spanish word Mira means to look mm. Mirabelle to look. Um, also just fun segue right there that relates Stephanie Beatrice, uh, Mirabelle's, uh, voice actress mm-hmm. and singer, 
she has extreme astigmatism in her eyes. So just like me. So Stephanie Beatrice generally doesn't wear glasses for her roles. So when uh, on Brooklyn nine, nine and a lot of scenes they film, she can't see very well. So she misses the mark on doing certain things that they have to like (laughs) reshoot. So just a quick like uh, segue, but Mirabelle wearing glasses and the meaning of Mira to look Mm -hmm. and also getting her glasses adjusted being the first uh, female Disney character to wear glasses and then also being voiced by someone who needs glasses extremely bad in real life. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there you go. Fun fact. Good, good fact. I like that. <laughs> does, does she not wear contacts for other roles? I can't say, but I, I will say this. I have a stream, like extreme astigmatism. Like to the point where contacts don't help. I tried contacts and they barely do. And the problem with uh, extreme astigmatism is when you do get contacts, if they shift even just remotely, your vision's all dicked. So, and one problem I had was when I was wearing contacts, put on contacts, everything's cool. Put on my safety glasses, lay back on the ground, get on uh, my creeper and slide under the car to start working. The contact shifts, Uh, slides right off of the focal point. uh Then I can't see shit. Then it's, it might as well be just the same as not wearing glasses. Right. So there is an issue there. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Um, so yeah, she, um, as the movie progresses, it's obvious that Louisa is starting to lose her gift. Um, and it's kind of left up in the air. Like is Mirabelle really causing this mm-hmm. or everybody in the family kind of makes it sound like it's her, it's her fault. Mm-hmm. Um, she's going around meddling and not just staying off to the side as, uh, Abuela requested. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid Abuela. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so she, what's the next part? While you think of that, I, I realized my other fun fact for yeah. that section. Mm-hmm. Louisa's song, Pressure, um, inspired by Lin-Manuel Miranda's older sister. Really? So he has an older sister, and apparently there's a dynamic like that in his life huh. with her. So Very cool. Um, after that, she goes to see what she can find in Bruno's Tower. Mm, yeah, that was the... Because, yeah, Louisa's like, oh, well, you know, start at Bruno's Tower. That's like the next clue. Right. Everybody was talking about Bruno before he left, and now we don't talk about Bruno. And up to this point, you've never seen Bruno besides caricatures mm-hmm. and or his door, which has like a some symbolic... His face. Everyone's face is in their doors, kind of. Right. Um. So she goes to his tower and finds it is basically like a cave of wonders esque grand Canyon pit (laughs) that just has sand and a stairway going up to the top. And that's when the, the toucan shows up and and ditches her that you mentioned. (laughs) And also includes my second, uh, my, well, I have many favorite lines, but one of the ones I love Bruno, your room is the worst. (laughs) She's marching up these stairs Mm -hmm. and there's a fun, you know, section of her just, it is a, I mean, it is like a deep pit that leads up to the, his chambers or whatever. Mm-hmm. His vision cave. <laughs> the, the vision cave. The vision cave. So yeah, she goes to the vision cave and sh- the door actually shuts behind her and causes the room to go dark. Yeah. And that's when she sees the glowing pieces of his last vision that he had. Bruno's vision. Bruno's visions. And I guess when he has a vision, it kind of like manifests itself onto a piece of glowing green glass. Mm. Uh, say that five times fast. Uh, Glowing green, not even once. (laughs) If the people I cared about's lives depended on me doing that, I'm sorry. You're all going to be dead. (laughs) So she finds pieces of what looks like a shattered piece of glass. Mm. And she puts a few together. And as she's doing that, these, these cracks are showing up again. Cracks are forming in the walls around her. She sees herself. And she notices then that the room is kind of starting to fall apart. So she grabs all of the pieces, puts them in her bag and rushes out of the room. Mm. 
And then she goes, takes them to her room and starts reassembling the pieces. Mm -hmm. And it's her standing in front of Casita Mm -hmm. with cracks everywhere. So she's sitting here wondering what, what is this? What's really going on? Why am I in Bruno's vision? And why am I, am I really the one causing all this? More self-doubt sinks in too, More self-doubt, yep. And that's when um, she's muttering to herself and says something about Bruno. And Peppa walks into the room and she says, I, did I hear somebody talking about the the one we don't speak of? (laughs) (laughs) Did someone say Voldemort? Yeah. (laughs) Um, and that prompts her to start asking about Bruno. And that's when the song starts. We don't talk about Bruno. Oh, so good. Great song. Good song. But there it's all these people sharing their memories of Bruno. Yeah. We don't talk about Bruno because everything that he shared with them, everything that he did, it all ended up being something negative mm-hmm. there. All of their experiences are relating back to him telling them something was going to happen and it ended up, ended up happening, but it was all negative things. Mm-hmm. Um, Peppa's wedding. She ended up getting married in a hurricane because Bruno said, looks like rain, which <laughs> stresses her, <laughs> stretches out. her out and it just made it worse. Somebody's goldfish died in town. <laughs> he predicted they would die. Predicted the goldfish would die. Predicted somebody <laughs> would grow a gut. Somebody else would lose their hair. Um, I like that all these problems and it's addressed later on, but I love that all these problems are interpreted as like this mystical, you know, thing from Bruno, mm-hmm. but they're just basic daily facts that were like some of it preventable. Right. Like the gut guy, you know, it's like, he told me I'd get a gut and I did. <laughs> <laughs> Isabella is the only one who gets anything good from him. Yeah. Um, She'll live she a life of her dreams. The life of her dreams and it'll all come easily to her. And it's because she's freaking perfect mm-hmm. so of course yeah everything's gonna be easy for her um <laughs> i strongly dislike her <laughs> and not only until i did some of the readings about how this later what i'll share mm-hmm. that i i had a larger understanding of why she's terrible mm. um so anyway yeah most of the people's experiences with bruno were all pretty negative for the most part and the thing with bruno though is and you don't find this out until later he was just sharing what he saw with people because they asked him mm-hmm. he wasn't actually like trying to cause going problems. around telling people bad news yeah. yeah like he mentions offhandedly when he's talking to uh, mirabelle later after she discovers him it, it doesn't do any good to tell anybody their future because they just ah, nobody liked it because i told them something about their goldfish and now their goldfish is dead so it's my fault mm-hmm. and People always hear the negative part. Yeah. And then just he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. And towards the end when he's when he finally does like reunite with the sisters, mm-hmm. he tells Peppa, I wasn't trying to stress you out. I wasn't trying to cause you problems or force you to get married in a hurricane. I saw that you were stressed and I made a joke. <laughs> it looks like rain because you're sweating bullets over there. Right. And all that did was stress <laughs> you out. I didn't mean for that to happen. I just was trying to lighten the mood. Yeah. Like everything that he was telling people just wound up being taken the wrong way. Yeah. So we don't talk about Bruno. Fantastic musical number. <laughs> it was really funny watching Camillo or Camilo shapeshift into his version of Bruno. Oh, seven feet tall. Uh-huh. Yeah. This like seven this foot m- frame with um rats along his his back. His spine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
he he made him look really scary and really wild, like glowing green eyes and crazy frizzy hair. And I, I will go off to say that Bruno is my favorite character of this movie, especially because obviously he's portrayed in this very menacing light. Mm-hmm. And yet he's not. And then, but when you learn of him and his character, because in, in the movie, when you don't see this character for a long time and then they're, they're introduced, they always end up being so much more like mystical. Like they're even greater than the story. Mm-hmm. And I like that Bruno is just a regular guy and he just like, he loves and he cares for his, uh, his niece and everybody. And he lives in the walls and he's got rats. Right. <laughs> uh, should we get to the, are, are you getting to the part where Bruno's introduced? Mm-hmm. I guess. I just want to say, uh, <laughs> again, favorite lines. Uh, I'm Hernando and I'm scared of nothing. <laughs> Gets me every time. And I'm Jorge. I make the spackle. <laughs> uh, John Leguizamo deserves every award there is for those two lines. Mm-hmm. Full stop. <laughs> so the song ends and Mirabelle, her, her dad walks in and sees the tiles that mm. she's put together and he kind of like oh we can't have this because what's yeah. his pants is coming over right uh-huh yep yeah. they're about to have dinner with the guzmans oh. um and they're the, the the proposal for isabella and all that and unfortunately there's an exchange between mirabelle and her father we can't talk about this we'll figure it out later um and (laughs) dolores (laughs) dolores hears everything from across from across the house i know (laughs) and she runs off she always has that sound she makes she's like "Hmm." Uh uh-huh and she disappears does a little squeak yeah Um, (laughs) i I love that that's like a perfect punchline for mm -hmm. her so they're all sitting at dinner and mirabelle is making constant unbroken eye contact with Dolores to make sure she doesn't say anything. Mm -hmm. And as soon as her gaze is broken, she's whispering to Camilo who whispers to his father, Felix, who whispers to Peppa (laughs) and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And everybody's talking about Mirabelle found Bruno's last vision and it's about her. And she's going to be the reason why everything is falling apart. apart. And all of this happens while they're having dinner with this other family with, um, the Guzmans, Guzmans, (laughs) Isabella's, uh, boyfriend and, and his mother. Finally, it culminates into Louisa's having trouble picking things up mm-hmm. and everybody's freaking out and Mirabelle throws the thing across the table, the vision, mm-hmm. and Abuela sees it. And Peppa loses her mind and starts chaos it starts raining <laughs> and um Isabella inadvertently punches her boyfriend's face in the nose, her punches his face with a vine. <laughs> It's all just chaos and, and they all leave and, um, and now everybody's really like on panicky, really panicky and blaming Mirabelle for what's going on. Mirabelle disappears. She knows she's got to get away and think about all this. She sees the rats carrying the pieces, the broken pieces of the vision away and follows them to a hole in the wall behind (laughs) one of the paintings and finds Bruno. And there's a chase scene and, um, she kind of discovers his his lair, yeah. That he's just been hiding in, which <laughs> in is the walls. like this really cute man cave. Uh-huh. Like it's actually he's got like little like art hanging up and stuff. He's uh-huh. really made a home for himself, and he's not a menace at all. He's just he's just a poor misunderstood guy who decided <laughs> it would be better to live on his own rather than try and stay and justify everybody you know hating him for all of yeah. his bad news. Because Abuela actually like banished him. She was like not really i guess not like directly he he disappeared more to protect mirabelle because of his last vision yeah um 
he had his vision the night of the ceremony for Mirabelle, and when she didn't get her gift, Abuela was concerned about the magic and mm-hmm. wondering what was going on, so she asked him to look into the future. He saw her in front of the house, and it's almost this lenticular image, like if you turn it, the cracks disappear, and if you turn it back, the cracks reappear. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of an uncertain future. Right. And Abuela, nobody understood what it meant but he didn't show it to anybody. He rather than tell anybody about it, he hid it and he disappeared. Oh, he broke it too, right? He's mm-hmm. the one that shattered it. So right. nobody can see it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he, he wasn't banished. He just decided that it would be easier to run away and not have to explain to anybody what he didn't know. Right. Um, so she's talking to him and realizes that he's he really misses his family. He's just been hiding in the walls, trying to <laughs> kind of maintain this semblance of being part of the family without actually being, you know, present. He'd also make a great real estate agent because he he says one thing. He says, this is great. Like his little like hidey hole home. Mm-hmm. And he goes, kitchen adjacent as he's <laughs> stolen food from the kitchen every night. Uh-huh. And that is a man who knows his real estate value of oh, where to build his hidey hole. <laughs> kitchen adjacent. Mm-hmm. But the lines that you mentioned, that's when he's talking to Mirabelle. Um, she sees all the cracks in the walls oh, yeah. and she sees a bucket on the floor and she's like, have you been in here fixing all of the cracks. And he says, Oh no, 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 no. I'm, I'm afraid of the cracks. I don't, I don't go anywhere near those. <laughs> Hernando makes her, Hernando's the one fixing the cracks <laughs> and she turns away and, and turns back and he's got his hood over his face. <laughs> I'm Hernando and I'm afraid of nothing. <laughs> <laughs> like you mentioned. Yeah. And best lines. <laughs> and he wears the bucket on his head and I'm Jorge and I make the spackle. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. He, he says his gift, um, he used to consider his gift was acting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love Bruno's character. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about him and I love the hell out of him. He is my favorite. Of this he's, movie. I think he's my favorite too. Obviously, Mirabelle is very prominent at the center of the story. Yeah, she's definitely. very significant. But Bruno, as far as a supporting role goes, he is my favorite uh, supporting cast. So I think at this point, he shows, they're like, hey, let's look at the vision again, right? Mm-hmm. So he assembles the the pieces. Right. She's they really Because explore. it's open-ended, yeah. Mm-hmm. He he couldn't really tell which way it was going to go. Oh, because he says, gave up like halfway through. He was like, oh, this is bad shit. Mm-hmm. And broke it. Right? Yep. So okay. she says, well, why not look at it again and see if we can figure out where it's actually going to go and what I need to do to fix it. Mm-hmm. So they go to Antonio's room because it's a big open space and he didn't have access to his vision cave anymore. And everything goes down really quickly after that. She, Mirabelle, she sees in his vision that he's having there that she needs to reconcile with Isabella Mm -hmm. somehow. And that somehow will fix everything that's going on. Mm -hmm. And Bruno's trying to tell her it's not about her. It's not up to her to fix this. It's up to you. You have to be the one to go with what the vision is saying. And you have the ability to fix this. Nobody else does. You are the repairer. Mm -hmm. It's your responsibility. So she tries to reconcile with Isabella and instead of trying to be sincere and really fix things with her, she's just kind of like blaming her for having a perfect life and always having things just handed to her. Like she's (laughs) never had to work for anything. And it's revealed that Isabella didn't actually want to marry Mariano. Yeah. She was just doing it for the family. For the family. And she, out of nowhere, grows a cactus. (laughs) 
the first time ever she's seen something like that happen, it's always been flowers, carnations, roses, all these pretty things. These soft, gentle things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they both realize, oh, this is something new. I'm mm. feeling some emotions I haven't expressed before, and it's causing my power to change. Yeah. And another big musical number, What Else Can I Do? That was... Isabella's showpiece, right? Yeah, that was Isabella's. And she's showcasing all of her new abilities by these feelings that she's feeling and admitting that she is not doing everything perfectly because she wants to. It's because she was given that responsibility and Mm -hmm. she was just owning up to the responsibility. And then Abuela and Abuela and Isabella and uh, Mirabel, they're all there in the courtyard. Abuela's just lashing out at Mirabel saying that all of these things are happening because of her. And now Isabella is, can't she, grow flowers. Can't go. I mean, she's not growing flowers anymore. Yeah, she's growing cactuses, and these things are changing, and it's all her fault. And finally, Mirabel lashes lashes out back at Abuela and says, "No, it's your fault. You have these expectations that are too much. You have all of these things that are going wrong because it's we're never good enough for you. Yeah, you're the one. You're the one de- destroying mm-hmm. our uh, our casita. And finally, the casita implodes." The candle goes out. Everything just is in shambles now. Everybody loses their gifts. Mm-hmm. And we're left wondering, well, now what? <laughs> like the low point, right? We've that's, hit peak low point. Yeah, that's the um, the climax, I guess. Yeah. Mirabelle runs away. All of the other people are kind of left wondering what's going on. How did they lose everything? Casita is in a ruinous pile. Mm-hmm. And they try to look for Mirabelle, but they can't find her. There's a split in the in the mountain peak behind behind the house and behind the town, and she goes through there, probably intending to run away. Mm-hmm. And she stops at the river, and the river is where they originally found the enchantment, where it all where it all happened. And Abuela finds her, and she confesses to her, "It is my fault. Yeah. I've been putting too much weight on everyone. I've been." you know, assigning all of these jobs. It's, it's not natural. It's not healthy. Mm -hmm. There's boundaries being crossed and, and really she hasn't focused on what was really important. And it was all of the family just being together and helping each other and supporting each other. It was instead of like your powers and what you can do for the role of the family Mm -hmm. and, and the community in a, like a, a well-meaning perspective. Right. But definitely like toxic in a way. Mm hmm. And that's where they kind of reconcile with each other. And Mirabelle realizes it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, she It's okay that she doesn't have these gifts. Her gift is essentially bringing the family back together. Yeah. But they forgive each other. They meet up with Bruno, who <laughs> comes <laughs> crashing in, <laughs> tries to tell Abuela, it's not her fault. I told her to do it. It's don't put any of this blame and pressure on her. And if you're going to, then you're going to have to take it up with me. And she just hugs him. And his instant need to protect Mm -hmm. his niece is so beautiful. Like he comes riding in and he's like, you know what? I've been, I've been in hiding in a cave for (laughs) the last like 10 years. Mm -hmm. If it's comes down to it, I'm going to protect her. I don't give a shit anymore. And she's just happy to see him. Yeah. All of that's in the past. All of it's behind her. And they ride the horse together back to, back to town. And they, they all rebuild the house. They'll rebuild uh, Casita, which <laughs> it's kind of funny that they had an opportunity to um, do something different. And yeah. They just made it exactly the same <laughs> as it was. <laughs> wow, what an expansive creativity. Right. 
<laughs> There's um just a quick jump back to when uh, she's sitting down, Mirabelle sitting down with mm-hmm. um, her grandmother. The song that plays, uh, Dos Oruguitas. Or mm-hmm. Two Caterpillars. Two Caterpillars. It's the first song that Lin-Manuel uh, Miranda has written from start to finish in only Spanish. Oh. Um, that song is actually my favorite song of this whole film. It was very pretty. They play in this this section, and then they, have, they play in the credits. But um, mm-hmm. the impact and the moment is Abuela retelling the story. This movie, the Ab- Abuela, and we as an audience visually see Abuela telling the story mm-hmm. twice of how she lost her husband, their grandfather. But if you notice in the beginning, it's a very kind of a clean, it doesn't really address with the pain and stuff. Yeah. It just, it's glossed over real quick and then she continues on the story. Mm-hmm. But this time we, we relive the impact. This song playing made it powerful. I almost cried a few times seeing this. I, I did. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. A little bit. <laughs> no crime. Just, no crime just, at all. Just a little bit. Uh, you deserve an applause there, Carter. Give yourself an applause. Uh, just a little bit. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it is not wrong to cry in a movie ever. Right. Um, it's okay to feel things. Uh, also, this is really weird and off topic, but I've been very perturbed that lately that we've been going to AMC. I'm so sick of Nicole Kidman telling me to experience movies at the <laughs> freaking theater. Um, I have nothing against her as an actress. I love her, mm-hmm. but shut up. Let me watch the freaking movie, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> Leave me alone. Let me feel the how I want to feel. I'll, I'll feel it the way I want to feel it. I feel like if I cry at an AMC movie now, it's because of Nicole Kidman's fault and I don't want to give it's her because that. Because she told you to. Yeah, you, Nicole Kidman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, so to remind back this this powerful scene, right? You actually get to see that same opening story again, but this time really illustrated heavily the more loss. detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it starts from from further back when they're like meeting each other and yeah. they get married and they have their kids and then they're chased out of their home. And, and Abuela like really, really like facing her pain. It's very emotional. Oh goodness. Like it's just mm, like a 10 out of 10 scene. If there's ever been mm-hmm. you know, one of many in, in cinematic history. And it really showcases like the reason why she kept putting too much pressure on everyone else is because mm-hmm. she never really, dealt properly with her grief yeah she had all this happen pedro was killed and the enchantment happened but then you know she's living in the house the the house is helping raise the kids and all that Mm -hmm. um casita is and she puts on her black shawl whatever Mm -hmm. whatever that is her her covering of her mourning and that's just the rest of her life she is walking by each member of the family and they all stand to attention and straighten up and like in a military like order. fashion. Yeah. Like they have to keep the order. They have to, um, keep the rules of the family. They have to abide by Abuela's leadership Yeah, or else. And that's kind of where we saw where Mirabel was trying to help in her own way and mm-hmm. not in Abuela's way. And that's why they were clashing. And the pressure of that forcing Bruno to personally like recluse himself yeah. away from the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad you said something because I did kind of gloss over that. <laughs> no, that's that's okay. I, I think that was the goal is to let you kind of buzz through because mm-hmm. I have a lot of to unload and I like don't want to like slow you down. <laughs> but that was like, it was such a powerful. And every time I see that scene to watch her go from her young self to approach. And, and I love it because it, it technically, I like this movie a lot because there's no real bad guy. Yeah. Besides um, the displacement of these people, you know, of where they used to live. Right. Um, their history and where they came from. Yeah. Which isn't given a face, which I'll address later. Uh, <laughs> but it's so beautiful to see um, in a healthy way, addressing our trauma 
and to watch it through Abuela's thing and her, for her to he- healthily come to a point where it's like, oh my gosh, like I've been really just breaking you guys because of this fear that I've had, mm-hmm. you know, this irrational but explainable fear. And to illustrate that visually, it's like, this is a great film to like for adults and children in, mm-hmm. in a, like in multiple faceted ways. And I think what an achievement it is to explain to a child that it's like, hey, we got to break the cycle sometime. Mm-hmm. And, and here's, here's this, this explains grandpa. This explains your weird uncle. This explains like, I, and I love that powerful dynamic of a relation, right? Right. So. No, that's very good. Um, so they come together, they rebuild the house and the magic comes back when Mirabelle puts the doorknob on the door. Um, ah, the doorknob. The doorknob. It's That's where the magic happens. <laughs> that was it. It was, it was not the candle, it was the doorknob. <laughs> Dummies. Right. And that's where the movie ends. They it's happily ever after with Casita. Encanto. Encanto. <laughs> Did you want to do some of your details and, and facts before we get into sights and sounds and stuff? Yeah. It, it's, a, it's still part of story time. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to try to, get, I, I have, I have a lot and there's a lot of reading I'm going to do. So mm-hmm. I apologize in advance. It's just, I wanted to summarize this, but it, again, I, I'm not from um, the ethnicity or the place to speak. And I think it's perfect to just read what these other authors wrote. Sure. So <laughs> I uh, there's a great article on Polygon uh, owned by Vox Media and mm-hmm. somebody I've worked with before. Mm-hmm. I've never met this author, but uh, Jose Maria Luna, he, he wrote in a review of uh, talking about Encanto and he's uh, of Colombian descent. Mm-hmm. And I'll just read what he wrote. It's just so powerful what he, he did. Mm-hmm. That quest to save her beloved house makes Encanto not just a story set in Colombia, but about Colombia as well. There's nothing more Colombian than the desire to find a home in an inherently broken country. Colombia's problems are so intrinsic that being aware of them from birth almost seems necessary to feel Colombian at all. The genocidal conquest by Spain, as well as the subsequent decade-long independence process, set the stage for a very messy 200 years of history. Nine civil wars between liberals and conservatives during the 19th century resulted in an unsolvable national schism where the only overlap between the two sides was the exploitation and dismissal of a mostly racialized rural underclass. Class tensions steadily grew until the global advent of communism, giving birth to leftist guerrilla warfare, spawning fascist militias across the country in response. In this armed conflict, both sides eventually gave up ideology in favor of the bloodstained profits of drug trafficking. This is a very brief and even generous summary of our national history, but it's still more detailed than the image the first world tends to have of us. It makes sense, though, that as this violent environment became pervasive, most of the media made about us focused solely on that, i.e. all these drug crime dramas and uh, you know, Colombian drug lords and cocaine, right? Like that's all we see whenever characters fly into this war zone or conflict. It's And if it's Colombia, it's always that. Right. The violence, after all, stains almost every Colombian family. This focus on the country's tensions happens in Colombian-made media too, as exemplified by the narco novellas that clutter our networks. We have come to believe that this is all we get, an echo chamber of drugs, massacres, kidnappings, indifferent politicians, and a population that lacks memory but still bears its baggage. The Colombian Cultural Trust, a collection of consultants from a wide variety of fields brought in to ensure the film's authenticity, may have spoken to the writer-directors about this problem. Disney's movie about our country couldn't overtly include our violent past and present, but at some point they decided not to ignore it either. Disney's Colombian movie centers on finding a place free of that innate suffering, a place its people can safely call home. 
But this is about a lot more than just representation. The happiness portrayed in Encanto isn't just escapism, it's defiance. It's about challenging that notion that we Colombians have to be miserable forever. After arguing throughout the whole movie about how to save the house and who's to blame for its impending destruction, the Madrigals ultimately have to accept that their miracle wasn't the magical house or their magical gifts. In fact, the miracle is after all these years, the family has somehow figured out how to thrive in the face of tragedy. The magic gave them their casita, sure, but they were the ones to create love, beauty, and community in it. A broken history got them there, but it's a miracle that they're still there regardless, and at the end of the day, that's worth a lot. In Encanto, unlike all other American depictions of Colombia, there's no room for the violence or its perpetrators. The focus is on the survivors. It's all about the miracle of thriving when you see almost cosmically predisposed to suffer ad infinitum. Because what's that Colombia is? A country of people trying their best to thrive in spite of themselves. We're a country of Mirabelles, all struggling to figure out how to fix these evils that seem like our birthright. Like Mirabelle's protagonist, Uncle Bruno, we're overwhelmed with an undeniably dire future. Like Abuela, we sometimes fight to pretend these threats aren't there because we can't bear the thought of facing them again. And like the Madrigals, we're each trying to deal with all of this alone and realizing perhaps through projects like Encanto that maybe we don't have to. That's like, this is a very tiny excerpt. So if anyone's interested in seeing that, go to polygon.com, Encanto, Disney, Disney, Columbia in movies by Jose uh, Maria Luna. And I mean... (laughs) Shit, <laughs> like I just read that and it's like, my God. Yeah, <laughs> that's big. It, it, it's heavy, like it's some heavy stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and now that I've taken the helm, <laughs> the historical context of um, like, because a lot of people, Encanto doesn't address what period or what year or anything, right? It, it kind of leaves that elusive. Mm-hmm. But through looking at the costumes, the way the camera is, they have like one of those uh, old fashioned cameras where you press the button and it burns the the stuff in front of you. Right. <laughs> now, this is all from culturalcollectiva.com. Co- mm-hmm. And this is written by Maria Isabel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as we said, based on the type of clothing and the visual elements in Encanto, we can say that the movie is set in rural Colombia around the 50s or early 60s. That would date the origin story of the family Madrigal around the turn of the century. With this in mind, the armed conflict that the movie is suggesting what is known as a Thousand Days War, which took place between 1899 and 1902. This conflict caused the displacement of around 100 to 150,000 people. That's about two-thirds of Colombian population at the time. Dang. It's considered one of the most violent episodes in Colombian history and one that is still carried out within the collective memories. Or that is still, yeah, carried in collective memories. Mm-hmm. Um, to understand the context of that, the Thousand Days War, it lasted a thousand days and in plain words, it was an ideological civil war between liberals and conservatives. Conflicts between both sides were constant in the mostly independent Latin American countries, and Colombia wasn't the exception. The background was that the conservatives wanted a favor of a central type of government with limited voting, and more importantly, a government with strong ties between the church and state. On the other hand, the liberal side aimed for regional governments that would be more efficient in dealing with local issues, as well as universal voting and a separated state from the church. In 1898, elections were held with the tensions between both parties. The conservative candidate Manuel Antonio San Clemente was elected president, but the victory had been achieved through fraudulent elections. <laughs> the liberals were naturally outraged, and more importantly, San Clemente wasn't a very loved figure amongst the people. And by October of that year, the liberals started plotting against uh, San Clemente. War broke out in November of 1899 in the province of Satander, 
And soon other provinces followed after ravaging entire villages and forcing the displacement of thousands of refugees. After three years of civil unrest, thousands of lives lost, and almost defeated liberal army, the Colombians were exhausted. Moderate liberals started developing treaties to bring the war to an end, and although they knew everything was lost, they wanted to take an honorable way out without having to surrender. The Treaty of Nearlandia was signed in October 1902, which both parties agreed to a ceasefire agreement, including the disarming of the liberal side. One month later, war was finally over with the signing of the second treaty. However, the tensions between liberals and conservatives and the trauma of the people remained a constant for the years to come. And then in the 1940s, a second armed conflict known as La Violencia sparked again, bringing back the horrors people had lived four decades before. So this is a region, not by the fault of the, 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 the small people, but it just constantly, shit is going down. Plagued by turmoil and strife. Yeah. yeah. You leave one problem to another problem, and then you get like the small period where you're like, oh, okay, everything, everything's going to be all right. And then just boom, more. And then now imagine that being like your, I don't know, like, like in the, I, I, mean, I mean, me and you, I sit across from you today because of the Vietnam War, you know, not because... Like my family was like, Hey, let's move to the United States. What a great place. Right. <laughs> so my dad was a POW for, for nine years. Not that I get along with him, but that there's a context there. And because of him serving time as a POW, you know, then we came here in 1995. The mm-hmm. process took two years to do. So for me to sit across from you at this table is influenced by a war, you know, in its own. And it's like to watch these things unfold in the world and shift massive amounts of population and loss. It's insane. Like, I don't know. It gets me every freaking time I think about it. Yeah. Uh, that's the heavy stuff, <laughs> but I wanted to give context of why you didn't see why, uh, inherently Disney did not give a face to the violence. And we mm-hmm. left that a little bit elusive, but like yet everyone who's Colombian or from any part of the world that has face conflict sees it and like, they just feel it in their bones right away. Right. Yeah. Welcome to a review of Encanto and a Colombian history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> a very, very, uh, <laughs> small and not detailed enough, I would say. Yeah. Um, no, that's very good. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. This other one is from same author, uh, Maria Isabel, Culture Collective. Mm. This one's just kind of fun because it gives a smart look at what's going on with the characters. Disney's portrayal of a generational trauma and toxic families. Mm. So, Abuela Alma, the abuser. So, they classify each character based on the toxic of what's caused. Ooh. Yeah, so this is a, a little more, more lighthearted, I guess, mm. unless you like have some just serious family trauma <laughs> <laughs> for that. I'm sorry I couldn't fix it. Abuela Alma, the abuser. As we throughout the film as head of the family, Alma poses herself as the pillar, always pushing everyone to do what they're supposed to do Mm -hmm. and shunning those who dare to do something different. This comes out of fear from losing anyone else, but in her attempt to keep the family together and functional, she emotionally abuses its members. We see that clearer with the characters of Bruno, who was vanished and taken out of the family narrative, and Mirabelle, whose love is constantly being rejected by her abuela. Mm Mm-hmm. More importantly, it seems Alma places the worth every family member regarding their gift on how useful they are to the family and the community. And for that reason, both Mirabelle and Bruno have been pushed away. They don't represent, in her mind, any good worthy of her appreciation. Julieta, the healer, Mirabelle's mom. Julieta's role is that of the healer and the fixer, and not precisely because her gift is actually healing. She assumes that role as the eldest of the triplets and the one in charge of helping others heal their emotional problems. We see her constantly trying to solve every little problem of the family through love and warmth, but we also see her struggle to keep everything up together while she's dealing with her own issues. A great example is when Julieta and her ungifted husband try to comfort Mirabel when Abuela shuns her. 
Since she's also a pleaser, she placed herself as a neutral player. But those attitudes end up making her three daughters very insecure people, unable to speak up their desires and wishes. Dang. Aunt Peppa, the one being gaslit. <laughs> Peppa is one of the saddest characters of the entire film. We know her gift is being able to control the weather, but mainly this is linked to her emotions. We see that whenever she's upset, a cloud immediately appears over her head, making it rain. Many members of the family, mainly Abuela, are constantly telling her to shut down her feelings, invalidating them, her problems, and her opinions. Pretty, yeah, It's like when I was reading this, like, whoa! This is so real. This is so deep, right? <laughs> and you're one of four, right? You're one of four kids? Yeah. So I feel like when you watch this and now you're hearing this, it's like you kind of like find some like personal re- like uh, relation to this, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Bruno and Mirabelle, Uncle Bruno and Mirabelle, the scapegoats. The audience's favorite Bruno is basically the scapegoat of the family. His gift is clairvoyance. And since some of the things he envisions were often negative, his family saw them as bad omens instead of just a lecture of what the future holds. He's probably the most reasonable of them all. The one who dares to say there's something wrong with the dynamics. And for that reason... He's pushed back. Abuela doesn't want to hear that her methods and leadership style are flawed and prefers to blame him. Mm-hmm. This happens in many toxic families where the it's best to pretend everything is fine, perfect, instead of addressing the problems. And as we see in the film, this the same thing happens to Mirabel when she says the magic is vanishing and the casita is falling apart. Abuela immediately shuns her in front of everyone and even at some point blames her for the situation. She's the one without a gift and for that reason, she must be the one to blame for what's happening, even though she's constantly trying to fix everything. Both Bruno and Mirabel have this sort of Stockholm Syndrome attitude in which even when they've been shunned and pushed away, they still love their abusers and try to make everything uh, try to make everything to please them. For Bruno, that was simply disappearing to please Abuela, though he just hides to stay near everybody. <laughs> He's even fixing the cracks in the house, so no one has to worry about that. Mirabel, on the other side, tries too hard to make herself useful for the family, even though they're constantly diminishing her for not having any power. And in the end, unlike Bruno, Mirabel decides to confront the problem and attempt to do something to help the family. The next one is Isabella, which I don't like her like from start to finish. I was just like, ugh, like she's just mean to be mean to be mean. Mm-hmm. This one actually made me respect her. And it's Isabella, the face of the family. Isabella is the personification of perfection, at least in the eyes of Abuela, the family and the rest of the community. She's the golden child, the one who's always impeccable to the eyes of others. Bruno even predicted she would have the life of her dreams, unlike the rest of the family. What's interesting about this vision is that everyone got negative predictions showing that Isabella isn't as great as it seems first. That perfection she embodies makes it the character that's most pressured by the family to remain that way. She gets some privileges for that, sure. At the end of the day, she's the favorite. But that urge to reach that perfection even pushes her to be willing to marry someone she doesn't want to just please everyone else. Also, it's the status of the perfect child that makes her part of the abusive pattern of the family. And this is seen in her relationship with Mirabelle. Mm-hmm. If Abuela pushes Mirabelle away, Isabella will do it as well because she doesn't want to risk the spot of the favorite one. All in all, Isabella is a type of character in the family that's willing to give her entire life and dreams away for the benefit of the family or what the family thinks is best. I didn't really see that, but now that kind of like puts it in a perspective. Having it analyzed. Yeah. Yeah. She's not like she's being a total dick. But it's almost like it's not because she personally I, maybe she gets some personal joy, but it's really to protect her position with Abuela mm-hmm. to make sure that hey, oh, I am the perfect one. And if I do anything, I'm not perfect. So I cannot be not perfect. Right. Luisa, the protector, the strong one. Luisa is the character many of us connect with the most, especially those of us who are the eldest child. She has super strength. And for that reason, everyone relies on her for all the heavy physical duties. She does everything from moving buildings to lifting tons of donkeys. All this without hesitating nor questioning. 
She's literally carrying all the burden of the family and the community, and that includes being constantly crushed by the responsibility. You highlighted this very well when we were talking about mm-hmm. her. Unlike her mother, Julieta, who took the role of the healer herself due to her gift, when it comes to Luisa, it's a family itself, the one that puts all the weight and responsibility on her. Perhaps that's why she's the first to crack whenever she, uh, whenever she sees the miracles fading, because in a way she's liberating herself from carrying all that burden. Still, as we see, not being able to carry on with her duty makes her feel guilt and anxiety. Uh, Dolores, the one that can hear, mm-hmm. the therapist. <laughs> Dolores's gift is super hearing, and although we don't get to see a lot of her powers being the aid of the community, nor the family, other than just spying on conversations, <laughs> we get to see she's automatically given the role of the listener, and thus the one who carries the emotional burden of the family. She knows about everything, and that's why the moment Mirabelle sees the magic is fading, she's the first person that she resorts to. Being the one who knows everything that happens in the family causes great stress on her. What's also sad about Dolores is that she listens to everything, but no one really cares to listen to her own problems and pains. Mm. Camillo, the jester, <laughs> the shapeshifter one. Uh-huh. Camillo's role in the film is out of comic relief, but it goes deeper than that. He's somehow the jester and or, or the mascot of the family, the one who's always lightening the mood. And if you think about it, his gift isn't that useful in terms of helping the community in that fantasized narrative that Abuela created. Mm-hmm. He's a shapeshifter, but what use can a community give to that power? Instead, he's constantly using his power to play pranks, narrate stories, or even just get some extra food. In a way, his gift is of a metaphor for the role he has in the family. He's the one that becomes whatever the family needs him to be. And the last one is Antonio, the young one. The, he's the mediator, the one that can talk to animals. Mm-hmm. Antonio is the youngest of the Madrigals. Although we don't get to see much about him other than him receiving his gift, we get to see that he's the one between Mirabel and the rest of the family. He's the one that validates her and, and is always trying to make her feel part of the family. Mm-hmm. There you go. Psychoanalysis of uh, the characters. Wow. That's very good. <laughs> I'm sorry. That was very long. No, that I, I feel like that was maybe not necessary is the right word, but that does complement the story and really kind of helps see everything that happened and explain it in with better context context. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate some of the characters until I kind of went through that analysis of it. I guess we're at sights and sounds. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Unless you had something. Oh, I, I did have a couple of fun facts just real quick. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Bruno's character was actually going to be Oscar. His, his name was going to be Oscar. Oh, but they changed the name to better fit the song lyrics when they were trying to come up with the song. <laughs> we don't talk about Bruno. No, no, no. <laughs> we don't talk about Oscar. Er, er, er. <laughs> so it was going to be Oscar, but they changed it to Bruno for the song. Oh, that's funny. Um, did you notice their clothing symbols? I noticed that a lot of the families were matching in what I can tell colors. Yeah. But I didn't see symbols. So I'm also reading a thing. Each magical member of the Madrigal family has a recurring symbol on their clothes that represents their gifts. Julieta's apron has images of plants and in the pockets, hands holding plants, representing her healing powers through her recipes. Oh. Peppa wears sun-shaped earrings and her dress has a bunch of suns on it, symbolizing her weather-related powers. Bruno has hourglasses on his poncho, mirroring his ability to see through the sands of time. Oh. Isabella's dress is covered in flowers, directly tying to her plant powers. 
Luisa's skirt has free weights on the bottom, an obvious allusion to her super strength. Oh, re- I did not even catch that. Mm-hmm. Dolores's clothes are covered with sound waves, a clear reflection of her super hearing. Camilo's poncho has chameleons on it, alluding to both his name and his shape-shifting ability. <gasps> Camille. Oh, shoot. Mm-hmm. Antonio's vest has animals sewn onto it, echoing his ability to understand and communicate with animals. And Mirabelle is shown with a decorative pink butterfly sewed on her right shoulder, a symbol of the house or family. Oh, wow. And another one that's actually not listed here, Mirabelle's dad, mm-hmm. Mirabelle, Luisa, and Isabella's dad. Yeah. He wears different things that complement his daughter's gifts. Oh, okay. So Jacqueline actually pointed this out to me. Um, he has like different articles of clothing on him that have the weights and the flowers and butterflies. Oh shoot. Okay. I didn't even, I now I got like another rewatch. <laughs> another watch. My 304th rewatch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is the first musical film composed by Lin-Manuel Miranda in which he himself does not actually perform any of the music, mm-hmm. either as an on-screen performer, as in In the Heights um, or Hamilton, or an off-screen voiceover, as in Moana or Vivo. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Yup. I think that's all I had. So, yeah, we can move on to sights and sounds. Well, if you did fun facts, I'll tie in two more yeah. just for uh, the, the fans there. Uh, the idea for Encanto started long ago, right after Zootopia from 2016 finished production. Uh-huh. According to the creative team in a press conference, director Jared Bush and Byron Howard were working on it before Moana even hit theaters in 2016. Dang. The team originally considered giving uh, Augustine and Felix, the two dads that married in the family, mm-hmm. they considered giving them powers when they married in the Madrigal family, but then ultimately decided to keep it only the Madrigal children to represent family roles and expectations. Ha ha ha. Uh, the filmmakers all took a trip to Colombia in, in conjunction with the Colombian Cultural Trust for research, and Lynn fully immersed himself with different Colombian musicians for songwriting inspiration. Mm, yeah, I was going to bring that up in, in Sights and Sounds. Should we just go there? Because yeah. that's, that's all I had. Sure, let's do it. Sights and Sounds. <laughs> Such excitement. So, Sights first. Visually, very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they did a lot of work making it accurate and making it look Colombian-esque. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I feel like they accomplished that yeah. very well. Lots of colors, lots of good uh, sequences. All of the songs, yeah. the, the, se- the sequences that kind of paired with the songs were all really fun. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's an animated movie, so the whole thing, it really is visuals. But the visuals complemented everything very well. Yeah. I, I have actually no complaints about the visuals Uh, nothing (laughs) the movie is just so well done disney has come a long way disney animation yeah um my mind likes to just call them pixar slash disney but obviously it's two different studios different uh, artists and stuff Mm -hmm. but geez louise the 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 facial reactions of bruno's him when he's like do you want to watch like he puts the mouses together Uh to show her all the (laughs) entertainment he has you want some sports yeah (laughs) telenovelas (laughs) And he sits back in the chair and he's just looking at the, the you know, what would be the mouse. Mm-hmm. And you can just tell from the animation that he's he's engaged. He's like, do you want to watch some of this? And then he he's like sucked into his little TV show. She says, I don't understand. And he's like, well, you see, it's because his aunt has this memory problem. She doesn't remember that he's his aunt. So it's this forbidden love kind of thing. And she said, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, something. I'm talking about real life here, Bruno. 
<laughs> but yeah, the animations of that is so fun. The visual cues. Now learning there's even more little visual cues. The movie, the trailer tricked me. The trailer made me think it was about the house. Because <laughs> when this first trailer just dropped, it was like a teaser. Mm-hmm. And it was just about like, oh, okay, it's a like a, a Hispanic type family. Mm-hmm. And it's a house. It's about a magic house. It's about a magic house. And is it still? Yes. But God, it is not just that. Mm-hmm. That's The house is actually like a, one of the most minor characters of the film yeah it's a supporting cat that's the man with the the, the food cart kind of thing from <laughs> frozen he's not the main ca- cast right and and the house i feel like it was so cool because it didn't it didn't overstay its welcome because it actually would have been kind of boring if it was just about a magical house the whole time right and how to fix the house but no it went deeper than that so visually beautiful yes sounds yes yes visually very very well done i, I have a feeling where you're gonna stand on sounds just because <sighs> sounds yeah. <laughs> very, very good. I'm also, gonna make a bet and say you think it's amazing. Um it okay. So we've Whoa. already talked about it's it's a very diverse movie. It's good for the adults and the kids. Mm-hmm. I feel like it did fire on all cylinders. It really did hit all of the boxes. Mm-hmm. Um I th- this is my own personal opinion. I think <laughs> I think Lynn Manuel Miranda and all of his recent work is kind of overhyped. Yeah. I think I don't know how I would feel or if I would feel any differently if like for example the people that I'm close to were not watching Hamilton all the time and <laughs> watching Encanto all the time. So um th- this is just just me and my own feelings, but I I really did enjoy it. It is very well done, and I'm trying to be very unbiased with it. Mm-hmm. So it is really, really good. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's a little overhyped. Oh, like people think he's greater than, like, like he's great, but he's not like the end-all, be-all great? Right. Yeah? Yeah. He's done a lot of recent good things, which is really cool, but not like, oh my gosh, he's the best Disney composer ever. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> if we say Patreon or the the, the echelon of Disney composers, mm-hmm. then no, I yeah, I, I agree. I would say Lin Manuel Miranda is the first and last word of it. Right. Um you you can feel his style and character uh, in essence. One of the songs is uh the what is it? The We Don't Talk About Bruno. Mm-hmm. It does the same thing that he kind of did with um in uh Hamilton. Uh, nonstop was a song in Hamilton uh-huh. where every character sings their own version overlapping with the other. Right. In, in the Heights, there's a song called 96,000. There's also like, that's like a signature thing that he likes to do where he gets everyone to sing different things, but they all blend really well. Mm-hmm. I, and you kind of notice that in this project as well with the, I still think the song is great. I don't really look at the, the grand scheme of things. I, I will say that I was really worried about being biased on this review because I've heard <laughs> so much just like you mm-hmm. that I was going to be like tired of it. And I am, to an extent, kind of tired of hearing all this stuff. That being said, though, removing the fact that I've been fatigued of Miranda-ness, <laughs> um, the stuff still stands. Yeah. And I would agree with that. It it does feel like there's a little bit of fatigue there just because of the overplayed, overhypedness yeah. of it. But it's still very good. And I would mm-hmm. still sit with my family and watch it if it if they decide that's what they want to watch. You know, yeah. it's the songs are catchy. It's fun to sing along with and or at least kind of <laughs> I would rather watch this like fourteen times in a row mm. than watch Batman versus Superman. <laughs> I love that that's always the thing we go to. That is the the bottom of the bar, dude. That's just the theme of the show. We always yeah. compare everything to Batman versus Superman. Until that bar is so low that if if I catch a movie 
doing a limbo contest under that bar, I will definitely call it out. <laughs> you really want to be shitty. Uh-huh. Um, one more thing about sounds that mm. I need to mention. You mentioned Lin-Manuel Miranda really immersed himself in the trip to Columbia and all of the research that they did and, mm. and the prep for the movie. Yeah. One thing that he did specifically for the music was he chose two Colombian performers mm. uh, to help him with some of the music. One being neither of these guys I had heard of before, just just so we're clear on that. But I wanted to give credit where it's due and make sure that it's pointed out. Sebastian Yatra mm. and Carlos Vives. Okay. Both of these guys very prominent in um, Colombian music and Spanish music. And apparently they have a lot of significance in that genre. Yeah. And Lin-Manuel Miranda had them help with some of the music, not all of them, obviously, but like the Colombia Me Encanto song that kind of plays as the intro and the outro of mm-hmm. the movie and Dos Uraguitas. Yeah. I think. Yeah. The is, two caterpillars one. Yeah. Which is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Dos Uraguitas. Both of those were the songs that he got help from with those guys. Mm. Um, very, very complimentary to the movie. Very well done. Yeah. That was really good. So like genuine like artists from the region yeah in the culture mm-hmm. yeah that two caterpillars i played it in my car like driving around and i'm like oh, this is still good mm-hmm. this is i'm having a moving moment in my vehicle as i'm stuck behind somebody on the left lane on the freeway <laughs> and it, it calms me uh-huh <laughs> yeah no both of those were really good scoring yeah scoring okay so, would you like to go first? Story is a ten. Um, Ooh. It, it it tricked me. It made me think it was about a house, and then it it seemed like it's very not deep, mm-hmm. and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And then I you think there's like this massive like you know like mega badass fight against the ultimate <laughs> evil, and it's not. It's almost like you find out that the characters look in the mirror and say, "Oh, I'm my own problem." Mm-hmm. Um, that is also stated. That ten is also very assisted by everything I've learned and read outside. Because I wanted to understand, well, there's a conflict, and I don't understand where this conflict is, where how we lose Pedro. Yeah. And then to explore that and to give to be given this richness of sadness and pain and violence, and to read that article from Polygon where it's like, this is a place where the abusers don't get a name, but we look at the survivors, and it's like, oh, man. Well, now when you put it like that, <laughs> you're really tugging at the strings of me. Mm-hmm. So just a beautiful story of 10. Yeah. Wow. I had planned to give it a nine, mm. um, the story anyway. The <laughs> <laughs> really, like I said, I'm trying to be really unbiased. Yeah. But I feel like it deserves the attention that it's getting. Yeah. It's just a little overhyped. Yeah. I really had a hard time finding any flaws, and I still can't really think of any flaws, but nine feels more appropriate to me than a mm. 10. How about visuals? Uh, also a 10. I would also give it a 10. I just, there's not a bad frame in the movie. Mm-mm. It's funny. It's touching. It gets me engaged. There's nothing that made me go, oh, well, that was really annoying. Mm-hmm. Literally, the only one thing I can complain about is, and it's just even, it's so petty. It's just ridiculous. Maribel is figuring out that there's something wrong. Mm-hmm. She's like, that's it. I'm on a mission to go solve my thing. She puts on her dress. Like, she's like, she was in PJs or something like that. Mm-hmm. She changes out, gets on her bag. And she's ready to leave the house. And then she's like, wait, how do I solve this? Looks at a I picture. A miracle. <laughs> yeah. Looks at a picture, sees her. She's like, she's the one that can hear everything. I'm going to go talk to her. 
the moment of the framing of that, it's midnight. Mm-hmm. It's midnight, middle of the night. The girl is just standing there in her hallway. And then it just cuts to daytime and it's breakfast. <laughs> so it makes me think that Mirabelle just stood there in her doorway just for another eight hours <laughs> yeah, thinking about this. What am I going to ask my sister? Mm-hmm. But even then, that's just a, you know, a continuity thing that caught my attention. <laughs> but it's it looks so good. It's a 10. Yeah. Sound? Sound, I'm going to give it a eight. Okay. It sounds incredible and it's great. I've heard it so much and I'm just going to let some biasness slip in that I, I am, I'm a little bit fatigued yeah. with the sounds. The, the music is great, but is it like something I want to hear all the time? I don't, I don't necessarily know. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is going to grow into that weird frozen thing where frozen is a fantastic piece. Let it go is a, an amazing masterpiece of music, but gosh, darn it. Stop singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I am giving sound a nine oh, um, okay. for the same reasons. Just, same reason as the story too. Just like the overhypedness is getting the better of me. Yeah. I'm trying to give as, as little bias as possible because it really is a great movie, great sound, great visuals, yeah. all of it. And it deserves a high rating. Yeah. But just for me personally, just that little bit of bias that's seeped through. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay to let it happen. You just got to be honest. Right. Um, the matrix is not a 10 movie, the original matrix. I just know it's a 10 movie cause I'm a jerk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we'll add these up here. All right. And I'm pretty sure we actually have the same score. What? Mm-hmm. With our contradictory maths. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> 9.3 for both of us. No way. Mm-hmm. Are you going to do any modifiers? I'm going to round it down to nine. Okay. Um, I just, like I said, all of it is very good. It deserves a high rating. It's Disney is printing gold and serving it to all of us on golden plates. And (laughs) it's just, they really have a hard time making anything that is not well done. Yeah. The effort that they put in the research that they do, the fact that, you know, most of these actors are actually Colombian and Mm -hmm. the story is accurate. There's the lore involved is from real history. Mm -hmm. All of that is very, very good. I think it it did very well. I really enjoy it. I haven't grown tired of it yet, Mm -hmm. despite it being overhyped and overplayed. But you are slightly approaching that? Slightly, slightly. (laughs) But, you know, there are people saying that this is the best movie since Frozen. The best, oh. the best Disney musical since Frozen, and I, I wouldn't agree with that. I don't know if I would either. I don't even think Frozen was like that much of a. But the kids loved it. The kids loved it so much that everybody knew the song "Let It Go." Yeah, and it was always on the radio and constantly being rehashed by the kids and their parents and all of that. So I get where they're coming from. Yeah, I may not agree. You may not agree, mm-hmm. but I get it. So it's it's a nine for me. I think it's better than Frozen. This movie, yeah. I, I th- now don't get me wrong. My girl Elsa, <laughs> straight ten out of ten, baby. I don't need a princess. I love me a queen. <laughs> that strong, independent vibe, mm-hmm. all about it. Um, but this movie is better than Frozen. Now that you bring that up, all right. I, this is the first time I'm actually doing this, but uh, I'm gonna do some Dumbledore, Dumbledore, and, and I'm gonna get that up to a nine point five. Uh, because the the minor faults are really the fatigue and some of the other under outlying things. Yeah. But what really swings the score up is understanding the pain and tragedy that it just, it gives this whole other context of the film for me that it's, 
that I would not have appreciated if I didn't go chasing to figure out. Mm-hmm. Because prior to this, I'm kind of like, oh, cool, like we're, we're doing Colombian. You know, um, Coco was for the Mexican audience and really paying homage to its roots and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And if it wasn't for looking deeper and understanding the tragedy, oh, man, you know, then... <laughs> I wouldn't have even done that, but mm-hmm. that, that extra bit, I mean, I'd almost say that's worth like bringing it to a 10, but it is, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's not like a 10 movie and I don't love it so much where I'm biased. I'm not biasedly swung that way. Mm-hmm. So 9.5 for me, like a final score. All right. Do you have anything else for Encanto? I think that really covers it. We really went through, ran it through the ringer and, um, I think we did it as best we could as two men that have to keep walking home. <laughs> <laughs> and then hearing it playing constantly <laughs> and disgust mm-hmm. and cheered on. We're mildly fatigued. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit. Just, 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 a, just a little bit. What does Rotten Tomatoes have to say? Oh, goodness. Yeah, we forgot competitors, of course. Well, one of us didn't forget. <laughs> <laughs> the right one. <laughs> ha. <laughs> Rotten to- <laughs> the tomato meter puts it at 91% in Canto. Oh, wow. Audience score pushes it to 93%. So obviously I'm in line with the audience. Dang. Um, then I'm wondering where IMDb is getting their information from because they have it at 7.3 out of 10. Oh, wow. Both the tomato meter and audience score are above nine. That's crazy. You know where they're getting their information from? I have no idea. Camilo, the one that like transforms in all the, like, the people. <laughs> He's just like, because you know how like he talks about Bruno being seven feet tall made uh-huh. of rats? Mm-hmm. I think Camilo is just telling the people at IMDb what the movie should be. And they're like, yeah, yeah that sounds about right. All right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's funny. And may- maybe they're just a little bit more criticky, I guess. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're really getting down to the nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. But I-, I guess I have a hard time getting so nitty gritty with... Um, animated family films because it's like it's supposed to be a good time i'm not i'm not here i'm not going to dissect so deeply that it's like oh well that doesn't make sense oh that doesn't make sense it's like the incredibles you know Mm -hmm. it's a wacky ass movie totally dysfunctional family that is not a family (laughs) i want to be related to Mm -hmm. but uh, it's it's supposed to be about superhero family you know so there there are some sins like that are forgiven i guess if if you're going to give me an animated film i'm i'm going to go kind of like i'm going to be leisurely about it yeah as long as it mostly makes sense no that makes sense which this one this one tracks. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's all I got. Yeah, I, I'm super burnt out, mostly because the emotional baggage <laughs> of reading all that and really getting tied into it. But I think um, to leave you in Canto, I'd say in your lifetime, see it once mm-hmm. and find some appreciation. But I think maybe the larger thing that this doing this review has really taught me is um, go explore your history and go explore the world's history. Go take your curiosity and learn something genuine about another culture. Mm-hmm. I think it'd make your life richer. I agree. Mm-hmm. I had one quick question for you before we ended. Um, mm. You're one of four children and you have a very, you know, like diverse and as far as I've met them, very colorful family. Like they, they're they very funny. Like mm-hmm. your brothers crack me up. <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder, did um, seeing this film and, you know, everyone relates to a film a different way. Did you have certain things that did you feel a weird relation or something? You're like, oh, I, I know what that feels like when it comes to your position in your family in like with your parents and your siblings. Because, you know, I, I don't have siblings, so I can't say. Right. And I wonder that. I often forget that you're an only child. I, I don't know why, because my behavior proves that, like my arrogant, like I'm in charge of this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, 
honestly, I didn't really think about it until we talked about all of those um, contextual, like family dynamic. Um, oh, when I was going through each character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would have to watch it again, knowing that, mm. and then think about it. Because up until now, I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if I did have some thoughts on that afterwards. But yeah, I might have to see it again. I don't think um, Jacqueline's going to argue that though. So. <laughs> like, hey, can we watch Encanto again? <gasps> yes, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> uh, the honest truth, Carter, is, and we both know this will be a fact: is that you won't need to ask. You will. You'll go to Costco after this Mm -hmm. and then you'll pull your vehicle up to your house and you'll enter with goods all over your arms Mm -hmm. and you'll be really freaking pissed off because you still have to make two more trips (laughs) and you know when that door opens, Encanto will be playing. It will. Encanto! Encanto! Encanto. (laughs) I think on that terrible note. That's a fact, Jack. (laughs) (laughs) This has been another uh, incredible episode of Stranded and Streaming. Mm -hmm. We're very happy to bring this to you. And uh, if you have any cool, fun ideas for reviews, you'd like some changes to the show, you want us to do something crazy and wacky, let us know. Slide into our DMs. Communicate with us. Send us messages. Yeah. Even if it's just to say hi, you know, just, hey, we'll we'll say hey back. Um, More than likely, I will, because yeah. <laughs> you're busy holding a child, and the child is like shitting and vomiting all over you. Mm-hmm. Usually. So usually it's me, until May. <laughs> And then it's, you, you have until May. After that, no one will answer your messages. I will be entering fatherhood very violently, I feel like, mm-hmm. with very lot of shock. Yep. But until then, uh, let us know whatever you feel. Yes, please do. Um, connect with us on Instagram. Send us DMs. And especially if you have, like, like Dylan mentioned, things to add, things to comment on, stories to share, or movies that you want us to review. Just uh, send us a message. Oh, and also, if you've got trash to talk, we love fan mail. So if you, yeah, if you want to talk some trash, slide in the DMs and use all the colorful four-letter words you got. (laughs) I won't tell Carter. I'll just fight you myself. (laughs) (laughs) But until then, we love you. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. We'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. If you made it this far and you like the show, please hit subscribe on whatever podcast listening platform you use. We're available on all major platforms such as Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and more. To stay up to date and keep in touch, check out our Instagram, at Stranded and Streaming. We'll post regular updates there for our followers. Feel free to send us a DM if you have any comments, questions, or requests for future reviews. But most importantly, thanks thanks for for listening. listening.